Hey Zach, how you doing? Well, actually, I need a drink. He needs a drink. You should go get a drink. Uh, what are you looking for, drink-wise? Now he's moving the backboard. He's going into our server room. Mmm. He's drinking the IPA. Mm-hmm. Hashtag not sponsored. <laughs> Dude, so what's up, man? So we're doing the podcast again, Intellicast Part 1, Zach Scriven Podcast Part 2. You guys know the drill, but you guys had such an amazing response to the last episode that I was like, let's make this a monthly thing where we just get together, we talk industrial automation, we talk Industry 4.0, talk digital marketing, and you know, just make it an open conversation. So... I'm going to hand you the mic. Okay. So let's talk about what we did today. Okay. Uh, so Zach flew out t- uh, this morning. Today's Thursday, February 28th. Uh, we we ca- shot, cut our, uh, our shoot short when you were here last time. Uh, it was just a long day. We had to shoot this, this uh, podcast. So we, there were a couple of videos we wanted to shoot that we didn't shoot. So we shot those this morning. So, um, we ran out of content this week, so we posted that video earlier in the week, saying that we, you know, we would take this week off and and uh, continue next week. So Zach flew out this morning. We came out, shot a full day's worth of content, and um, it actually went great today. What do you think? I think I thought it went really well. Um, you know, I noticed at the beginning you were a lot more confident in your delivery. Like each time, you're getting a little bit better. Uh, at speaking to the camera, like I noticed you were actually looking uh, in the first video, you're looking dead on at the lens. You weren't even looking at me, and I'm like, sure, you don't even need me anymore. You know, it's like, uh, yeah, that wasn't by design. But so we're trying this mic today because it sounds better. Last, uh, last uh, in the last month, we did like a lapel mic right here. So we're gonna try this back and forth thing. You know, definitely way more comfortable. Well, I mean, I'm comfortable in front of the camera. And I'm definitely comfortable, like stream of consciousness. Um, what I'm when I'm not comfortable is if we like outline. Like if I was going to have to outline out what I was going to talk talk about, that that won't go well. I have to do it stream of consciousness. So I'm comfortable that way. So, um, but today we we finished the selling IIoT uh, series. Uh, we talked a little bit about architecting IIoT solutions. Um, we actually shot, normally we shoot about 12 to 15 minutes of content at a time and they get broken up into videos, but we had a couple of 27, 30 minute videos today. So yeah, definitely some longer videos. Um, definitely going to have my work cut out for me on editing, but that's, what's cool is it's always a learning process. We're always getting better and experimenting. Like one of the things that I had thought of and let us know if you guys would like this is if we put like maybe smaller videos on LinkedIn, like let's say we have a 14 minute in detail video on selling IIoT to end users. Would you guys want to see that broken up into two seven minute videos, both posted to LinkedIn? Or would you rather see a full 14 minute video on YouTube and maybe a one or a two minute, uh, you know, get like just to get a taste of it on LinkedIn. Let us know what you guys would want. Um, so what's up with you? So why don't we? Why don't you give the update of what's going on with Zach Scriven Media? Oh man, it's insane. So um, you know, I, I was telling you before. I really I have like three to four clients right now, and one of them is myself, right? So and that's the way I'm starting to kind of reframe my mind to look at it. Uh, you know, I said last m- month and the month before that I was actually doing a lot better job at delivering a consistent message and building your personal brand than I was doing at my own. Um, 
but you know it's for obviously good reasons you were paying me to to build your brand to build you know intellic so obviously i need to deliver on that or i'm out of a job uh, but secondly it, you were kind of like the proving ground and in, in essence i was looking at what was working with you and then taking that back and applying it to my own um my own practices so the way i'm starting to structure it is to look at as if i were and i think you guys as content creators or business owners you really need to look at it like you are your own customer like I'd, i have to imagine as if zach scriven the person is paying zach scriven media five ten thousand dollars a month to build zach scriven's personal brand and zach scriven media the agency is executing on delivering that content, producing it, publishing it, building an online community. So I do that for myself. I do that for Walker on Intellic, and we're starting to do more work with 4.0 Solutions. There's other people that have been reaching out to me, and I do appreciate that, but I am being very selective in um, not trying to take on more work than I'm ready for. Um, there's also another company. I want to kind of have a nice portfolio of like a system integrator, maybe a software company, maybe a hardware company, and kind of have a nice mix of, um, you know, portfolio of marketing partners. So, but I'm open to what the industry wants, you know, um, like the flow software, uh, the hat sponsorship, you know, that's been working really well, looking to expanding that. Um, what else? You know, Mary and I, we're, we're doing good. And Zoe, you know, she's uh, she's starting soccer now, which is really cool. So. Uh, good. So I I don't really like this experiment. The this So I think in the second, yeah, in the second, either we both use these or I think in the next one we just do the the next. Uh, but I, I know this sounds. I could just hold it for you. I know it sounds amazing, but um yeah uh anyway i digress so what's going on with us um so in the last few weeks we've uh actually been very busy so we, uh, on the intellic integration side we've been uh we're we have a bunch of projects that are ending and a bunch of projects that are beginning so one of the things we've been experimenting with uh in the last uh, couple of weeks is um how do we manage transitioning how do we how do we manage with our engineers closing projects out and getting new projects kicked off seamlessly right how can we do the lessons learned at the end of a project and get get them into their next projects seamlessly so we've been using fabricator fabricator is a tool that we use and we've used for years it's developed by facebook it's a open source um, um, uh, project management tool if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you look at it. It's Fabricator, P-H-A-B-R-I-C-A-T-O-R. Uh, actually, you could probably flash in a screenshot of it or something here. But uh, So we, we've been experimenting using Fabricator um, to manage the transition of the projects better. Um, our, uh, we've been very focused on building out the CRM a little bit more on the IntelliC integration side. On the 4.0 solution side, we've been uh, working with a couple of different integrators over the last couple of months uh, or last couple of weeks to basically we're seeding integrators. We're like, we're, these are new integrators that are industry 4.0 integrators that have reached out to us and we're supporting them getting off the ground. And we've been talking about possibly creating this integrator consortium, where, which is essentially the idea that uh, all these like-minded integrators would work together um, and uh, we would share um, administration and management. Essentially, uh, you know, our you know, one of the things we're we're thinking about right now is selling for other integrators. So prospecting towards their target 
their uh, their their target strengths. Um, we basically get them up into the value proposition level in, in the sales cycle, and then they take over. Like we've been uh, helping with legal, helping with HR, that kind of stuff. So on the 4.0 solution side, that's kind of the direction that we've been going. We've met with a couple of different companies and looked at some new solutions, uh, industry 4.0 solutions that just came out. So uh, there's a company called Sorba, S-O-R-B-A, that's got a, an amazing um, IIoT solution, full stack, uh, edge to cloud that we've been looking at and testing. Um, another company called Influx Data that uh, I referenced in one of the videos that we shot today. Uh, Influx Data's got an amazing platform, both open architecture, open source, plus an enterprise solution. We met with Siemens this week. They came and visited the office for a few hours, uh, and we started talking about their IIoT solutions. We're testing their MQTT function block in the S7-1200. So, I mean, there's a lot of really great things going on uh, with all of our companies and uh you know we're not short on work that's for sure <laughs> that's good yeah neither am i um you know this year like towards the end of december and then this year i started doing the upwork thing which has been working out really well it has been a new struggle balancing that but it has been forcing me to get better at my time management and blocking and you know getting really efficient with video editing and also outsourcing some tasks like uh you know, like caption creation and, and uh, smaller video editing projects. So, uh, how, are the, how are the podcasts for Automation Month coming along? I'm glad you asked. Yeah, that's a that's another thing, huge thing that I've been working on. Um, it's coming really well. You know, the community response has been overwhelming. Um, you know, dozens of people have reached out to be on the cast. I mean, I've already pretty much filmed like ten episodes. Um, you know, Justin Dean, uh, well, Sean. I had already done, but Sean reminds me we need to hit up Sean again. Um, you know, uh, Dustin, Justin Dean, uh, Eric Compton, Colby Clegg, which was a huge one. You know, uh, Automation Month, the first go around, the first annual Automation Month, uh, one of my dream guests was like Don Pearson. So it's not Don Pearson, but it is Colby Clegg, a C level on exec, you know, is a co-director of engineering for software at inductive automation. So that was like, I told him like, you know, you're like one of my dream guests because now this is actually a thing and we're here sharing the stories of automation professionals. I mean, there's a bunch, there's a bunch that I'm not listing right now. Um, you know, like 12 interviews. So I'm looking forward to that and I'm going to have my work cut out for me editing. Uh, I do want to seek out some sponsors, uh, you know, just to kind of build on the sponsors that we had last year um, and just kind of continue to grow that value add. Because if you think about the amount of people on the podcast and their connections and the people that are going to watch it and how highly focused the content is, there's a huge value to be able to sell that to advertisers. And so I'm kind of just doing a waste by not doing that. So, um, so yeah, reach out to me if you guys are looking at sponsoring the Automation Month on the Zach Scriven podcast. So... So one of the cool things that I've noticed over the last month, month and a half is that, you know, with your help, we're, we're making a difference in the community. Not just are we, you know, not, not just directly in that we're, you know, we're helping other integrators, we're helping end users, we're helping OEMs, we're shifting the conversation or at least contributing to shifting the conversation. That's the first thing. But the second thing is I've... I've, I've noticed that we're we're directly impacting the way that IIoT companies are marketing. I think they're hearing the message that your marketing material is you're speaking over everyone's head, and you need to you need to 
simplify the argument for the common audience, right? And so uh, one of the big things that I've noticed is that several IIoT companies have are using more of the, the type of uh, um, messaging. messaging and the drawings that are the illustrations that we use in our whiteboard series. We're seeing them being reused in, in new marketing material, which means that we're, we're helping them change their message which which we know resonates with the community and and then through one-on-one -on -one conversations with their with uh, members of the community we know listen everyone is 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 leaning in this direction all the community or the end users are asking for iot solutions they just don't know how to accomplish them and they're and they don't have all the resources they need to pull it off that is the the support uh, the the oems need to make iot ready hardware the IoT ready software. We need to have a common language, a common lexicon. We need to people need to understand what IoT actually IoT actually means. But we're moving in the right direction, and I and I really feel like we're having uh, a positive impact on that that overall discussion. Which and a lot of that is a direct result of all of the members of the community that are engaging with us. I mean, this isn't a, you know, while we're in front of the camera and and you know we're the ones that are posting a lot of the videos. It's really the the people who are chiming in and inputting on, on the content that is driving the conversation. They're driving the direction of what we shoot, but also they're driving the visibility. They're, they're the ones who are getting our, our message and getting the community's message in front of the, the, in, in front of the eyes of the right people. So I, I do feel like we're, we're having a huge impact. And I can tell you that just on Intellic and 4.0 solutions side, uh, I mean, you know, there are scores of, of new contacts that we have now that are, are direct business, you know, that are direct business that are, that are going to expand our, our opportunities. I've met some amazing people. One of the integrators that just, that, you know, I, I call it, we're planting integrators, but it, it, an integrator that just started up in, <laughs> in Chicago. He converted into Yeah, it, we've, yeah, we've, um, we're working very closely with them. I talked to the, the president of that company a couple times a week and, and just bouncing ideas. He, he's an IIoT guy, uh, but, you know, translating his knowledge into, into the market is that, I think that's what integrators are having a problem doing. And I think that that's more where we can help. You know, we're really good at set, doing the value proposition and selling IIoT. We're values-based. And so whenever we can find the, the perfect partner for us or the perfect community member for us to be talking to is the community member who doesn't know how to, uh, who needs help um, doing the value proposition and is values-based. Number one, you got to be values-based. You can't be chasing the bottom line. If, if money is your ultimate goal, um, then we're, I mean, we're not the right partner for you. It's just not who we are. Uh, and then also, I think where we're really filling the gap is on architecture and doing the value proposition, helping people sell these solutions. So uh, we're definitely moving the needle. And I feel really good about everything. Except for that mic. <laughs> no, dude, it's, uh, it, we'll get used to it. I, you know, I used to do my podcast this way back uh, when I did my podcast at VidCon. I only had one Shure SM7B. 
So I brought the Shure SM7B with me to VidCon in my backpack. I set it up in a coffee lounge and I just passed it back and forth between myself and the guest. And, you know, I would have yeah the conversation like that and uh it worked out well you know you create with what you have but you know your point brings up an interesting point that uh you know colby clegg uh and i were actually talking about in the automation month podcast it was a really great episode we talked for an hour uh, we talked about perspective ignition a you know how the whole story of him you know for working and being the co-director of engineering for uh, factory pmi which then became inductive and and it you know it, it's almost an hour it's over an hour of content ignition a perspective the story of colby and you know inductive automation so it's a really great episode and we, we he actually blew my mind a little bit about this notion of the concept of loosely coupled versus tightly coupled uh systems and uh you know in regards to uh, his, his question that he asked me about the future of system integration and how do I see in engineers and, and resources in that and, and that's what's and I explained to him and he's like oh like the concept of loop loosely coupled versus closely coupled I've been thinking about publishing that podcast early for the community so I think what I'll do is if this video gets 25 likes I'll publish that podcast from automation month early so make sure to smash that like button but the my thought is What's your thoughts on loosely coupled versus tightly coupled in terms of resources for system integration and how can we create this consortium? Okay, so in terms of loosely coupled versus tightly coupled, I think, so I'll, I'll clear, I, I think what Colby's saying is that uh, the, the environment is generally, or the community is generally cyclical. That is, we see the movement, or in, you know, for video gamers out there, the meta at the time, right? The, the movement or the meta is either loosely coupled uh, uh, automation stack or tightly coupled. Type, tightly coupled would be unified architecture that would be closed stack. It would be, think, uh, factory talk solutions, right? Uh, plant packs, so plant PAX in the PLC, in the uh, HMI, SCADA, MES, um, and then factory talk analytics uh, on the top, right? That's, that is a tightly coupled stack, right? And then loosely coupled is open architecture where you're using uh, you know, web service and MQTT and all of the open protocols where you have, you're not predefining which, uh, which nodes in the ecosystem play well together, right? You, you just, you're basically creating an open architecture that's loosely coupled, right? So, and, and so I do agree with them that it is cyclical. But the reason for the cycle is not that the community uh, is not that the community goes wa wavers back and forth between the values of loosely coupled and tightly coupled. What happens is is we go loosely coupled. Uh, loosely coupled is what we want. We want everything to play nice together. There's not a single person out there that says I, I you know. I, it, there's no benefit of my Siemens PLC being able to talk directly to my Allen Bradley PLC, right? Or in the context of engineers, there's no reason I can't do a project for Intellic or for Corso or for fill-in, you know, the blank integration company. It should be loosely coupled. Correct. So the so the community always wants loosely coupled. What happens is is that someone comes out with a solution. You know, in this case, we'll just say Rockwell and their factory talk solutions. Um, but we could you, we could use uh, Siemens and the TIA portal, right? Uh, and it's not just it's not just them. We could talk about Schneider's offerings. You can, uh, you know, uh, any of the monoliths, right? Um, they come out with a solution that they market as loosely coupled and open, right? They come up with their own 
you know, Rockwell comes up with the, the you know, the, uh, is it digital enterprise or what do they call it? Now? Connected enterprise. Connected enterprise, right? They, so Rockwell calls it the connected enterprise. They coined their own term. And then in sales meetings, they'll say it's the digital factory, the, you know, the open architecture. Yes, we play nice with everything. It's only later on that you find out that, it doesn't play nice. They don't play nice with everything. It's 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 tightly coupled. It's not loosely coupled. And so the reason it's cycling back and forth is because someone you know there there's a a, net, a new hot trend that the market who wants loosely coupled thinks is going to give them what they want, and it becomes a tightly coupled solution. And so uh, somebody else the the market complains. I want everything to play nicely. Someone fills that vacuum, and they, and that, and they find out that one's tightly coupled. Why is it that, you know, providers, OEMs, software manufacturers, hardware manufacturers, the the Schneiders, Rockwell, Siemens of the world, why is it that they want to unify everything? It's because they want to monetize all layers of the stack. I mean, that's just, you know, that's business, and so that's the reason it's tightly coupled. So, um, it's 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 incumbent upon the community. It's incumbent upon the end users. It's incumbent upon the integrators and the OEMs to be insisting that solutions are open architecture. That is, and we need to vet that. We need to do our due diligence and make sure that when we when we make a selection for our clients, when we make a recommendation, we're making a recommendation that scales not just based on the technology we're aware of today, but ten years from now. You know, we need to be able to scale, and the only way to do that is to use open protocols, open architectures. Is Walker Reynolds IIoT ready? <laughs> yes, I, I'm always IIoT ready, and I, I, you know, it's funny we say that tongue in cheek, but I mean, our organization, our businesses are built. Uh, they they model the open architecture methodology. I mean, in terms of the way that we, you know, the way that we uh, interact with other integrators, the way that we interact with our vendors. Um, we really are built like an IIoT organization, so yeah, <laughs> I'm IoT ready, man. Like, no, like, does 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 your brain natively speak MQTT, Sparkplug B? My brain natively speaks um, uh, Python. I mean, I, I think you think I, in Python. I, I think in Python. Yep, I and I think I think in SQL. Um, I think in C sharp. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I and I, I definitely think in terms of IIoT. I am uh, in terms of the way my brain operates. I, I, if I see a closed door or I see when we're architecting solutions and I see uh, that we might be painting ourselves, I'd say this all the time, you know, don't keep yourself in the center of the room. Don't paint yourself into a corner, right? And when we architect solutions, I take that approach. That's the IIoT approach, right? It's, uh, but in terms of the way I think, no, I, I think in Python. I can tell you that. I mean, I, I dream in Python. That's pretty sick. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of people say that they dream in the code. You know, I used to think, I used to think in Ignition. Like I used to think Ignition, it kind of was the, like the center of the universe. And how can you? Um, you know, while being one of the biggest ignition advocates out there, how can you also concurrently hold the position that you know ignition's not the center of the universe, and you need to remain agnostic and open to other solutions while simultaneously still maintaining a good relationship with them? Like, how does that work? Um, well, the relationship I have with inductive automation is based on result. I mean, in, in the at the end of the day, it's it's about results. Um, you know. I I don't I, I'm not a very likable person. I mean, my my relationships with my vendors are not based on that I'm very good at 
soft skills because I'm not. I mean, uh, and I don't hide that. I <clears throat> when when someone makes a mistake, I tell them. Um, and I would say most people with any type of ego are, are going to take offense to that. And you know, so um, my, my that being said, my relationship with IA is a very strong relationship. Uh, you know, and. And uh, they know where I stand in terms of, you know, we're agnostic. I believe you have the best platform on the market right now. But, um, you know, I'm, no matter what, we're always going to do what's best for our client. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's the reason we're not a premier integrator. We don't strive to be a premier integrator because we don't want to, uh, you know, premier integrators have, they have to set sales targets and that kind of stuff. And we don't, we don't want to do that. So mm -hmm. um, you, you'll notice that when you look at any of my company's certifications, we we stop all of our engagements with vendors at at the point where there's some type of quid pro quo. So whenever there would I where I would we don't accept uh, leads from our vendors unless they unless our vendor says, listen, you're the only company that can do this, and we need your help. What's um, quid pro quo? Quid pro quid for pro? <laughs> quid pro quo. Uh, quid pro quo is uh, that uh, you do something. I, you do something based on uh, you know. Scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. Mm. So uh, that is, uh, we don't, um, you know, uh, you know, if you, um, you know, in, in vendors in general. I mean, Rockwell's known for this. I mean, and listen, I, you know, I, I can't tell you how many people have me. I mean, thousands of people have messaged us saying, "Listen, I feel the same way about Rockwell Automation as you do." Like, they make great hardware. That their, their business practices are terrible. The way that they act treat people the way that they you know they they the way that they act like the 800 pound gorilla the way they do that i wouldn't recommend that people you know attack rockwell the way i attack them i i do it in, coming from a good place though i'm trying to improve rockwell automation's business i'm trying to get them to do what the consumer needs mm -hmm. what they want me to do is sell their products and they don't really care if i if it's the best product for the customer or not. They just want you to sell their product. You know, that's one thing that's uh, been a general theme across all the people that have watched your content and uh, watched your videos. They'll know, you know, every time you say Ignition, you could bet bet that Factory Studio is probably going to get name dropped really quick in the same sentence or in the next one. Um, maintaining that agnostic and non-preferential treatment, which is nice. Um, and then also the other thing is like that Rockwell, you know, is might get some shade in some videos here and there. You know, one person said shots fired, like in the comments on YouTube, shots fired against PLCs that don't support MQTT. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's, I mean, that, that's a, again, that's, uh, Rockwell should be a leader here. Pure and simple. Um, they should be a leader. Um, and they're not. And... And and ultimately, it, they will become a leader. I mean, they they just will. The market's going to mandate it. Um, but they'll be behind. They'll be behind the eight ball when they do it, right? They'll be catching up. So then they'll try to catch up through acquisition, right? I mean, it's all the normal. Um, you know, I, and again, I, I love Rockwell's products. It's not that I. But do I sell Rockwell product? Do I lead with Rockwell products? No, I don't. Um, we work with Rockwell products only when the customer already has them. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, I never, we never, none of our customers or our clients ever hire us and say, hey, we love, I mean, I would love for any integrator or anyone to, if you, if you think that I'm unfair to Rockwell, I really, I think that you should comment and tell me you, you think I'm being unfair. Because I've never met an integrator, <laughs> I've never met an end user who said, I love Rockwell's business practices. That's literally not what they say. They say, I, you know, I, uh, 
I love their products and stuff, but I, I don't like the way you know they operate sometimes. So that mean, and, 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 and you know, I do pick on them a lot, right? But when you're the when you're the big dog, and they are, they're the big dog in the United States. I mean, you should you should be prepared to defend yourself. And uh, um, I go to Automation Fair every year. I, I look at their products. I deal with their partners and stuff. And and the 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 reality is is that uh, part of the reason that we're not moving forward. The part of the reason that the, the digital transformation has been so slow from industry 3.0 to industry 4.0 is because the leaders in industry are holding it back. Mm. Um, so if we were to make a video that would start out like, Dear Rockwell CEO, what would your advice be to Rockwell executives? Um, I would say that move away from unified. So that doesn't mean that they have to abandon unified architecture. And for those of you that don't understand what unified architecture is, it, it basically means, uh, you know, uh, when, you're, when you have, you know, the automation stack, you have PLC, HMI, you have SCADA, you have MES, ERP, and cloud. Um, the unified stack is that you are, I sell products at each layer of the stack, and I, I use the fact that I have products at each layer of the stack to to convince people to buy the you know use those products i basically leverage the fact that i i have 75% of the plc install base to get people to buy my skata system even though my skata system is not going to natively it, it, even though my skata system will cost 10 times what it would cost to do you know do it in a different platform and it'll be 99% less open. I can't get it to talk to the APIs I need it to talk to. I can't exchange data the way I want it to. Um, that The unified stack is the idea that I'm leveraging all the products I have within the stack to make you buy my other products mm -hmm. simply because I own products in other locations in the stack, mm -hmm. not because they're the best products to be using. So well, if, I'm, if I'm making the recommendation to Rockwell, I'm going to make two recommendations. Move away from leveraging the unified architecture, um, number one. And then, and number two, all you have to do is support I, open IIoT protocols. That's it. It's very, really, really simple. I mean, it's not even a major, you know, I mean, Siemens just came out with the, the MQTT function block for their S7 line of PLCs. And we, we met with Siemens this week. They're definitely going open. There's no question about it. Uh, they, are, they are supporting open protocols. They, and, you know, it's really funny, and, I, and this is a... <clears throat> You know, if people are still watching, this will be the, the most important part of this of this conversation. So Siemens was here this week, and I said to them, "Listen, in 2008, inductive automation became a player. Okay, um, you guys, you and Rockwell should have known it. You should have seen them, but your arrogance are what kept you from changing." And there were three people from Siemens here, and they all nodded yes. Every single one of them said, "I said I cannot believe you guys did not react." to inductive automate, you didn't take them seriously. And he said, you're right, we did not take them seriously. That is what he said. Now look at inductive automation's space in the market. And all what did, what did inductive automation do? Did they give you the best platform? That is like the, the with the fewest number of bugs? Of course not. When 7.6 when seven six came out, it was incredibly buggy. When 7.7 was buggy, whenever you're in an early release of the platform, when 7.7 comes out, 7.8, 7.9, when you're at 7.90, 7.91, 7.92, it's a bug. It, go ahead and look at the release notes. Look at all the bugs they fixed between 7.90 and 7, or, you know, uh, you know, major release dot zero and dot five. It's a buggy platform, but it's not too buggy. I mean, you can still, you know, it's not dangerous. It's, uh, what did they do? They made it available for download and anybody could test it without ever talking to anyone. Okay. Two hours at a time. They made it unlimited licensing, unlimited tags, uh, unlimited clients. 
okay? And it's completely open. I, there is your recipe for success in Industry 4.0. Now tell me one other platform that's exactly like that. There's only one. Factory Studio? Factory Studio. Factory Studio is the only other platform on the market that meets those five requirements. So you want to know why I drop Ignition and Factory Studio? It's because of those five. Now, there are other platforms or other solutions that we, we've looked at, okay? Uh, Influx Data, highly recommend Influx Data. To take, a, take a look at Influx Data. You want to talk about who's going to be a player going forward? It'll be those guys. The Sorba AI platform, which it's a brand new platform. They're based in Florida. Highly recommend people take a look at Sorba. There's, there's a lot of stuff coming up right now that are they're doing, they're taking this approach. The five-fingered approach. Um, so, again, I you know you want you want to know the 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 big thing I learned this week. The big thing I learned this week is that the big boys understand that they made a huge mistake, and that they're you know they're trying to catch up right now. You know, um, it, it's awesome, man. Uh, I want to take a clip from that section in a few years from now and just be like, look, you know, Rockwell, we, we told you so, or, you know, maybe Rockwell will listen and they'll have implemented it and we'll have had an influence. You know, the thing is, I think, you know, we want people to take our advice. We want people to take us seriously. Um, we want, we want people to like echo us and copy us. Um, you know, like that's why we're doing it. We want to model what we think that you guys should be doing. Um, but, you know, I, I think if, if I were the Casey Neistat, as Graham says, of our industry, you're the Gary Vaynerchuk of our industry because you're calling these shots, and I, I think that they are going to happen. So you're seeing the way that things are heading, kind of unlike other, unlike anyone else in the industry. Well, yeah, and I appreciate that. I do. Um, you know, but for I, – I just want people to understand that, you know, I don't have a lot of friends, okay? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't. I, I, I don't focus on – friendship or that kind of thing. I focus on moving the needle. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that I, I don't, I don't wish anyone any ill will, any company ill will. I, I am a Rockwell fan. Okay. I am, I am a Rockwell fan and, and I, I really am. And I'm a Siemens fan. I'm a Schneider fan there. I, you know, especially Schneider's low cost drives. Um, I'm a, I am a bedrock automation fan. I am an inductive automation fan, a factory studio fan. There are a couple of companies I am not fans of, but I don't trash them here. I mean, there's no value there. There's value in in calling, in putting companies to task, because you believe that they may, you know, that you could help advance their cause by, you know, calling them out. So that's what I do. I just tell it like it is. I'm, I tell you guys in the in our digital media campaign the same thing I tell my clients. Okay, and and. Uh, and so, you know, sometimes it's uncomfortable. Maybe you guys get sick of hearing it, but I think we people need to hear it. Uh, I, I just want to say um, another thing that uh, to the point that you were saying that uh, last week or two weeks ago, we were having a conversation with an IIoT platform or a company that's made this IIoT platform, and and uh, it's a time series um, system that they have. And and I he asked me, you know, what did I believe the the future of the historian was. He said, you know, 10 years from now, what will, which historian do you think is going to make it? Is it going to be OSI Pi? Is it going to be Canary? Is it going to be one of the other? And I said, it's going to be none of them. Historians won't be needed in 10 years. Okay? I mean, you have to ask yourself the question, what do you use a historian for? Why do you have a separate historian? What's the reason? What, what separates a good historian from a bad one? Right? A, a good historian is uh, fast doesn't take up a lot of space, 
and you can pivot your data easily. I can combine, I can create derived values and I can compare, you know, X, Y, Z and, and, and with X plus Y plus Z, right? Um, that's, a, that's a great historian. When you look at the differences, like when you compare, compare Canary Labs to say Ignition's native historian, for example, or Aviva's native historian, Wonderware's, um, what are the fundamental differences between those historians, right? Canary's is a NoSQL, they use flat files, it's very, very fast, right? Well, why did they build it NoSQL and with flat files? Because they needed the speed, right? They needed they needed the speed. They needed to conserve space. Well, will you need will will you need to use NoSQL to have high speed historians in ten years? No, you won't. Yeah, you won't need that. So that the the value proposition kind of evaporates, right? It's the same thing with the historian by itself. Why are why are historians standalone right now? They're standalone because you need a time series database to store your historical data. Well, if, we're, if we, 10 years from now, when we're pumping everything into data lakes, okay, uh, and we have al artificial intelligence algorithms, machine learning algorithms that are spitting out the decision, mm. then why do you need the historian at all? Why do you need a trend when the AI algorithm gives you the results of the trend? Exactly. That's the point. The point is, is that when you're architecting long-term strategic solutions, that is the five-year solution, what I start implementing today is not the solution you end up with in five years. That's why you use Agile Project Management, so that you can adjust to the changes and you can adjust to the modifications in the technology, right? Mm -hmm. So long-term, you know, which historian do I think will win? I don't think we'll have say we won't have historians. What we're going to have are GUIs that can consume data from a data lake, and and build trends if we want to see them. We can pivot the data however we want to. Well, I mean, going even further, all of the apps, um, you know, in the traditional manufacturing automation stack or the ecosystem like ERP, MES. SCADA, like a, a lot of those start to become kind of meaningless when you have that manufacturing singularity where you have a complete closed loop from sales order down to manufacturing order, back up to sales order and delivered to the customer. If that's fully automated, you know, raw materials are getting ordered, you know, machines starting and stopping automatically. What really reason is there for a screen? You know, I mean, maybe one high level dashboard that, you know, boom, zero. You know, plant's not doing good. One plant's doing okay. Like you're fine. You know, go sitting on the beach, <laughs> or like, you know, like where do, where does that uh, where does that stop? Well, I, the answer is is that we don't know where that stops. Now, uh, do I believe that all of the layers in the automation stack? You know, right now MES is a specialized uh, are specialized solutions. And SCADA are specialized solutions, and HMI, PLC are specialized solutions. And in one of the videos that we shot today, we talked about how I don't believe that all parts of the stack are going to evaporate, but I think most parts of them are. Uh, so I think from the SCADA layer all the way up to the cloud layer will become a single layer, and you will have node applications that plug into that unified namespace. And you won't, there won't be a need to have unique namespaces at each specialized layer. You won't need that. So why architect solutions today? that do that because you're just going to refactor them three years from now. Why not, why not find the cutting edge technology and use it today? That's the industry 4.0 integrators that are popping up. These guys that we're talking to all over the world, uh, they, they think exactly the same way we do. I can tell you, I'll, I'll give my, you know, we have these conference calls. I give my pitch and they say, listen, man, it's almost as if we were born out of the same cocoon. So you have all of these, these new 
you know, these cutting edge thinkers who are saying, wait a minute, why, why use it? Why use a historian? Why to have a standalone MES system? If the answer is the reason we need a standalone MES system is so I can sell it to my customer and make money, well then you're not a values based person, right? You're not a you're not on the cutting edge. There are some people who are going to say that. They're going to say the reason we have to have SCADA is so I can sell it. <laughs> so I can sell the next project. That's the reason we have to have it. Um, and there are people who will say the reason we have to have standalone MES is so I can sell my next project, right? Um, but the reality is, is that the, the, the efficiency gains for the end user are going to come through doing more with less with your data, turning your data into information and doing more with less. That's, that's the name of the game, and that has to be the end, your, 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 end, uh, your end game. Yeah. I mean, inductive automation was kind of... Uh they really changed the way we thought about SCADA and it started that convergence of those platforms where, you know, you know, Ignition could be your HMI, SCADA, MES, and ERP, like you guys have used it for, right? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that's how we use it now. I mean, uh, our ERP system is built inside of Ignition's uh, inductive and ignition. Inductive automation built their CRM inside of Ignition. Um, the the light the third party um, module showcase. Uh, the licensing utility is built inside of Ignition. We build everything in Ignition. Right now, the only standalone application that we use for our company is our CRM. We use the Zoho CRM and we integrate through the web service into our Ignition ERP and we can natively when a when an opportunity gets converted to a sale, um, that becomes a project automatically in our ERP system and that's all done through our open architecture. So um, the you know, we were talking about this earlier before we even started shooting. We were talking about Wonderwear, the guy who started Wonderwear, right? And, you know, where is he today? And I said to you, well, he's not here anymore. I mean, he's, he's moved on to the maker. But, the, you know, Wonderwear was inductive automation before inductive automation came along. You know, in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, Wonderwear was fighting, was fighting against some other platforms that had popped up, right? And, uh, you know, Plant TV and Intolution and, um, you know, uh, iFix specifically. You know, GE had a huge piece of the, the market at that time. But the, uh, but Wonderware grew too big. And, and so they, and they, they, had, they moved from innovator to self-sustainer, mm. right? And that's what happens with large organizations. They Do you see that happening to Inductive or...? No, and it, not not yet actually, and and the reason why is because the core leadership's still in place, right? So you still Steve Heckman. Uh, I mean, you look at look at IA, uh, Colby Clegg, uh, Carl Gold, uh, Travis Cox, Bobby McKenzie, um, uh, Steve Heckman. They've all been with the company since the factory PMI. Day. Vanessa. Yeah, Vanessa Garcia. Don Pearson came along at, in the ignition days. But if you look at the if you look at the original, I mean, they have the core leadership. It's all still there. I mean, and if you want to know what Heckman's genius is, it's not, I mean, he filled a vacuum that everyone knew was there. He just, he did it. Um, his real genius is the fact that he's kept his core, his core team together for forever. I mean, almost, almost, tw he's coming up on 20 years now. I mean, like 17 years, 18 years, that core team has been together. Factory PMI, the original version was like, 2003 or something crazy, you know, 2003, two, two Six, 16 years. I think Colby just celebrated with inductive, which is amazing. You know, and he was one of the first, one of the first two original developers. I mean, he and Carl were, I mean, they, they built the whole SQL tags and factory PMI from the ground up, you know, and, and so that, that, no, I don't see inductive automation, um, becoming a self-sustainer yet, but with growth, 
you have to resist as companies grow really really big you have to resist the urge to go into self-sustaining mode which is chase the sale at all costs let's hear the let's hear your opinions on perspective and ignition 8.0 um so we have all right so i got to be careful because we do have an nda with ia and we're on the beta team but uh, well, it's in it's in public beta now yeah um so I just want to make sure I'm careful what I what I say. So uh, Ignition 8 is definitely a game changer. Um, the core, uh, fundamentally what makes Ignition 8 um, unique and, and really where I think the initial value is going to be found is in uh, not perspective. It's going to be in the new tag engine. Um, and I've talked about it a little bit before, but now we'll, we can subscribe to property tags and properties of tags. So we no longer, the idea of recursively browsing has been that's gone away. We don't have to. We don't have to do that anymore. Um, that's a that's a huge game changer, right? I mean, now a tag is essentially a resource, and so if the, if it's a resource, we can subscribe to it or any of its child attributes. Mm -hmm. So that that's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, on the perspective side, it is long overdue. Um, so perspective, for those of you that don't know, is think of it as vision, but in HTML5. So it's it's the sister to the vision module. This j vision is Java Swing, and perspective is is uh, HTML5. So React React native. Yeah, and it's all it's native. It, it's all it's native mo It's native mobile. So um, responsive and right. And so uh, I would say on the upside. Um, it, the the development environment is familiar when you're working in perspective. It's the same concept, drag and drop, binding, all that stuff. Um, on the downside, the component the component library is pretty thin. Um, also, if you want to become a power user with perspective, you're going to have to you know you're going to want to familiarize yourself with uh, standard web development tools. Um, like uh, if you're familiar with React JS, if you're if you're familiar with CSS, that that's going to be very helpful. In terms of the learning curve, um, the learning curve is, uh, w working with perspective is very similar to the learning curve with the new reporting module. So however long it took you to get acclimated with the new reporting module, it's probably going to take you that long to get um, acclimated with perspective. Um, we're going to buy perspective as soon as it it goes the wide release in April, which is the scheduled date now. Um, we will, we're going to start converting most of our products that we sell uh, that are ignition templates uh, to perspective. But we probably will not sell perspective to our customers uh, until we get a couple of minor releases, minor releases in to the module. So. Um. But, uh, let me just say, I mean, it's a phenomenal. They've done a phenomenal job with it. Um, and uh, and and you know they've been developing this for years, and uh, and and you you can under, you can understand just how difficult it is to build a platform from the beginning from the ground up when you see where they are right now considering the amount of time they put in. Yeah, I mean it truly was like building a new application. I mean you think about some of the phone. Uh, SDKs out there like Zaramin or uh, you guys have used a couple different ones where Ionic. yeah Ionic, Ionic where you're kind of developing low code well, not necessarily low code but you're developing a single source code that can be compiled to Android and iOS so kind of like a phone gap system or like react native um, right so I mean that that in and of itself is like a big project like that could be a company to itself so it's amazing that for the first time ever control engineers are now able to develop web applications like proper web applications not just you know VNC vision web 
pages, like actual web apps, responsive. Um, so that's huge. Um, what, I, what I would say is the people who are going to be most disappointed are the people who spent a year building their own web interface using web develop web dev and and then web development tools and react i mean those are the people who are going to be the most disappointed because they went through all the trouble of building the web service so that they could serve ignition data to their web applications and you don't need to do that now i mean now ignition gives you the hooks you know natively so um i would say that i i, I it, it's pretty tough for me to imagine um, five years from now that anyone would build uh, a vision application. I, I just can't, uh, you know. Think they would build it natively or it'll be a new technology? I, I just, I, I don't think, I, I just think that perspective will become the core. It's going to be core, become the core vision application. I just can't imagine anyone's going to be building, building anything in vision with Java Swing. I thought you meant yeah. perspective in five years. You know, perspective is definitely going to, is the future of, of Ignition. So when we go to, say, Ignition 9, it's entirely possible that Ignition 9 doesn't even support vision. That would be, that'd be cool. Um, and, you know, I, I've talked about this before. Uh, the, the client that I'm working with on Upwork, we're developing an IIoT solution. Uh, they're an OEM for water, tre water treatment skids, servicing the oil and gas industry. Uh, they're using Ignition Edge. Um, and Ignition Central. Uh, but the interesting thing is we're using a um, Postgres uh, SQL database. And in on top of that, there is a time scale DB framework, um, which basically imagine, um, you know, the, the issue with SQL data databases for storing time series data was that when you got too many rows in one table, it you know, hurts performance. So Ignition had the ability to kind of partition your tables with its built-in historian and roll those into separate partitions. Um, but then you could pull those back. Um, but then you could kind of only really pull it back easily through Ignition because, you know, external applications would now have to hit this all different kind of ways and look at the table partitions. What time series or time scale DB allows you to do is, um, like let's say you're using the built-in Ignition Historian, you can turn off partitioning on the Historian, store everything to what appears to Ignition as a single logical table, and this middleware, this um, TimescaleDB, DB actually does that partitioning for you behind the scenes. And it basically, uh, it basically creates, uh, it does the indexing and the view. So it basically creates the indexing of these massive tables and then builds the view on top of it so that for the client application, you're able to query as if you're querying a single database, right? Correct. So now um, this database has to become the central repository for all the information, uh, real-time and historical. So we have, uh, Mar mostly Marcus was behind this. You know, he's started out as a controls engineer, kind of worked his way into the web development area and knew he wanted to develop React applications, web applications, didn't want to wait for perspective. So it's been a few years that he's been working on this um, and he's actually gotten really quick with it. And he's like, I'm pretty much now at the point on the development curve where it doesn't make, he's like, it doesn't make sense for me to develop in perspective because I'm already at the learning curve with React. And I'm like, for, right, for you, it makes sense because you work at the OEM, you can keep building it and keep making it better and better, but you're you're taking for granted the gift, the curse of knowledge that it's not going to be as easy for you as it is for everyone else or like for you or for me, like you're 
typical controls engineer who maybe was started out as an electrician, they just want to drag a few things on the screen, get a React app up and going, and that's where perspective well, is strong. But see, this is what you just said without knowing it. What you just did was you made the argument for open architecture. Let's, right. hear, let's hear it. So, so the reality is, is that part of the reason that, I mean, Ignition's our favorite platform, right, is because there's always a thousand different ways to skin the cat, right? Um, in other platforms, in competing platforms, there might be three or four different ways to skin the cat, right? So what's the beauty of Ignition is that you could have a single, a single Ignition namespace. I he Marcus can continue to build his React application using web service, right? And and scale that out on the OEM side. But you could he could bring in future controls engineers that are, let's say they're just in support. They work in the support center. And they need to build quick screens so that they can diagnose a customer's problem. Well, they're not going to do that by building custom. They're not going to use custom React. Marcus can, can, can continue to do it the way that he's doing it. But then you could bring in new engineers, train them through Inductive University, they could use the new perspective application and drag and drop the way that a new engineer does. That, that is the value of open, right? That's the value of an open architecture. And, and you didn't know you were making the argument, mm -hmm. and, uh, but you were. Right. Um, and, and when you compare that, when you compare that reality that you get with Ignition and you know, Factory Studio and, and the contemporaries, and you compare it with the monoliths, there's no comparison. This is closed. You know, you don't have that opportunity. You have to come up with a development methodology and stick to it. Here you don't. Mm. Think system platform, perfect example, right? In, in system platform, right, you have the ability, you know, how does everyone build, uh, so one aware system platform, how does everyone build screens? It's very simple. Uh, templates inside of templates inside of templates inside of templates, and then they build a window template. The last template is the window that you just drop onto the window itself. You could open up InTouch if you wanted to, and you could drop you know, an InTouch label on top of that template. You could do that, but you would never would. You would if you're going to add anything, you're going to have to go back and understand the original methodology that was used to build those screens. But why? Mm -hmm. What's the value? You know what I mean? Think about how hard it is to maintain an application that someone else developed in system platform. It's very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. How hard is it to support an application that someone else developed in Ignition? Not very hard. Unless they wrote really complex Python code and they're calling a bunch of shared script in the, in the global scope, it, it really is not hard to go behind someone else and learn how they built the application quickly. Yeah, interesting. Uh, you, know, um, you know, I told them, uh, we're going to use perspective. We're going to get the license and we're going to develop it. And I think we're going to use it kind of as more uh, like developer tools or internal tools, maybe doing some prototyping. And the, the published product that goes out you know, over Amazon Web Services to the end user, they can pull it up on their phone and see all their water treatment skids. That, that is going to be the product. That's going to be the app that is built. Um, and eventually, they kind of want to transition from more selling these, I mean, they're still going to sell the units, but really the business that Marcus is kind of envisioning is selling the data or selling the result of the unit. So there could be some sort of subscription service or like the information becomes more valuable over time. So he wants to kind of leave it open to have a branded product um, without you know, having ignition branding. Like, like one of the things when you load a perspective window you get the Ignition 8 logo 
like as while you're loading. There might be an option to turn that off. Hopefully there is, but. So let me ask you, so before we finish up, let me ask you this. Of all the things that you've been exposed to uh, recently, what are you uh, most excited about? So new products on the horizon, uh, new opportunities. What are, what are the things that you're, you know, let's say over the next 90 days that you're most excited to test drive or be involved with or whatever? What's exciting you most over the next 90 days? Well, um, tonight we're going to the uh, Freedom Club local event put on by Kurt Mercadante, uh, LinkedIn influencer, you know, LinkedIn coach helping people, uh, entrepreneurs and employees achieve lives of freedom and fulfillment. So that'll be pretty exciting tonight. Um, uh, later in March, obviously I'm going to the uh, Wonderware South Africa or IS Cubed Industrial Software Solutions and Support Conference Exchange 2019. Um, so that'll be really exciting. Uh, funny enough, a, uh, IS Cubed is actually the only distributor in the world that carries the whole portfolio of Aviva products. So they sell not only like the Wonderware uh, Schneider Electric Software Legacy products, but they also sell the Aviva Legacy, which now both those combined is just Aviva offerings. They're the only one that sells that entire portfolio. So that's that's cool. That's one of the things they, they mentioned that was unique about themselves. They also throw a really dope conference. So that, like it's like, it's like Blue Man Group, like they got acts and performances and I'm really excited to see how it turns out. Um, the jet lag will be a little bit of a, a work, but I'm kind of... How long are you going to be in South Africa? I land Sunday and then I take off Wednesday night and then I'm connecting through London Heathrow, but get this, London Heathrow, there's a good chance. So I bought a flight um, through American LAX to London and then on uh, British Airways from London to Johannesburg. Uh, so I can't fly on standby on, on uh, British Airways yet. So I bought a ticket for the whole stint. But what my plan is, is to stay an extra day in, um, in London so then I could fly standby on that last leg home, American. And there's a good chance that th that particular plane, it's a 777-300ER, it's got like 10, bi 10 first class seats, 50 business class, and like, like 200 something coat, uh, you know, regular. So there's a good chance I'll play it by ear, but that would be, I mean, that's like an $8,000 seat that I would get, and my cost would be like 200 bucks. So, and I'll get to see London for a day, so that would be cool. I'll reach out to my LinkedIn fam in, uh, in London, just chill there for a day. So I'm really excited about that. Even more so, I'm excited about this new course that I'm launching, Crush LinkedIn Video, Crush Your Goals Using LinkedIn Video. It's my first digital course, so I'm just kind of spearheading it. I don't even really hope to get any sales from the course. I mean, there's already been people that have been interested in the course, so that's really exciting. But I'm actually just kind of using myself as an example, uh, kind of modeling it after what maybe you guys would eventually might want to get into if you guys are doing your own digital marketing or you're doing your own IIoT. Like I've been um, working with Walker on developing his own course. So that's something I'm excited about. Um, what else? Uh, March, end of April, early March, we have the CSIA Executive Conference. I'm getting a free media pass to that. Um, automation month. Gosh, what else? Like, as far as stuff coming out in the market, I don't know if, like, any, you know, maybe if Ignition 8 fully drops within the next 90 days, that'll be amazing. Don't know if it will. What's your thoughts on that? Um, I'd be surprised if it's 
if it's released in April. I, I, I mean, I hope they're right, but I just, I wouldn't, I'd be surprised. I, you know, it's funny you ask, you say it, it's going to take a while to become a prominent perspective developer. I want to market and position myself as one of the leading perspective developers. Uh, which is a bit of a task. Well, well let me clarify. We're, we're gonna we're already developing with perspective, so we're using the beta modules to convert our templates, uh, and will and I would say that, you know, in terms of perspective development, we're probably. I mean, obviously, in the world, we're probably top five, right? So, um, we and we'll be working with perspective, but we'll be working with perspective with our products as opposed to selling perspective to our end users right away. Mm. Uh, we're, we'll stay focused on our core business and we'll wait for a couple of minor releases to come out. We'll, we'll live with, you know, with the early release of the module in our products, but, um, and, and we'll keep our, our skills up. But I, I want to get a couple of minor releases in before we, you know, we, we hit. I mean, because we've been working with it since... September, October, it's it's a phenomenal platform. It, it's absolutely phenomenal. The issue is the learning curve. Mm. So, uh, and right now they're shooting all the content. Mm. So, uh, for Inductive University, and and so uh, we we want to be careful about how quickly we we push mm. push perspective to our end users. Very good. Um, yeah, you know, I was if I wasn't filming this course on crushing LinkedIn video, I was like, dang, I, I kind of want to do some perspective content. It's, it's going to be needed. Uh, there's going to, and that's really where the community can come in. That's really where Corso, that's where we should be coming in. Chimera Systems, Kyle's been doing, Kyle Chase from Chimera Systems been doing uh, a ton with perspective from actually. Vertec. Yeah, Vertec. Yeah, uh, Vertec. In fact, I, I know they're on the beta team. I just don't know. But Kyle's been developing with perspective you know, since like summertime. So, you know, Roger Larson over at Vertec is kind of like a little uh, genius. Yeah. And he's starting to actually not only do blog content, but I've seen he's done a, a video going through Seek Workbench, connecting up to Ignition and kind of doing a what if scenario to do some data analytics. Uh, so, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, that, you know, we're starting to see other companies, maybe independently, maybe influenced by us, doesn't matter, but starting to use more video content in their marketing and education. So it's really cool. Uh, shout out Roger for tech. Well, I mean, moving the needle is fun, right? I mean, moving the needle means you're making a, making a difference. So for me, over the next 90 days, uh, we're going to be testing a couple of products from Sima, uh, Siemens. So the Cymatic IPC 127E is their industrial PC. It's an IIoT P, uh, PC that it's an edge industrial PC that runs Windows IoT, uh, uh, Windows 10 IoT, but also has extensible I.O. so you can run uh, your... Uh, uh, your PLC programs on that Edge PC. Um, we're going to be testing their MQTT function block and the S7 1200s. Uh, we have a new product and a, a new IIoT product coming out, um, which is our, our own MQTT broker. So we have our own transmitter and uh, we have our, our own broker coming out um, that will be used basically as a, um, a Spark Pug B compliant broker that sits between. Um, Factory Studio and Ignition. We're going to have them both consuming. Kind of like a, a Hive broker or a Chariot SCADA, something like that? Yeah, just incredibly inexpensive. So, um, you know, our transmitter is peanuts. You know, we, we just... You know, that's the other thing that we haven't really talked a whole lot about is your MES 4.0 product. Do you think we'll see that in perspective, developed in perspective, or in in your own platform like you kind of talked about? 
Right. So it's going to be developed. So it's currently developed in ignition. Uh, the back end is can be decoupled from ignition. So uh, you could build a separate front end for it. Um, and uh, but right now it's the core functionalities inside of ignition. Uh, we or are, or flow. Yeah, and um, well, flow flow can do the MES calculations for us. So we basically have a choice between using our our MES engine, our OE engine, or we use flow to do the measure calculations and then consume them. Um, so uh, MES 4.0 is going to be developed in perspective, um, and we are working on our own platform, uh, and uh, which is being built fully in .NET uh, from the ground up. Um, uh, but it's going to be a niche product. But think of it as, uh, you know, a sandbox. Think of it as Minecraft, but for industrial solutions. That's basically what we're building. You know, you bring up. Uh, I, I was I was talking about Colby, and I'm like, what would you like to see developed in Ignition that you haven't seen before? And I said, I would love to see Ignition developed in Ignition. Like, pull out your designer and you develop yourself a designer, and you know, within Ignition, you just start developing your own. Mm-hmm. Ignition system, kind of like a Minecraft. Like you could do that with the new tag engine. So before you would you it wouldn't it would have been incredibly inefficient because you would have had to browse the tag namespace, right? And you and that's not entirely true. You can you can go access the tag namespace through Java if you know the methods that are you know. And we develop modules, so we know how we can access that. But the the average developer can't do that, right? So um, uh, now it would be much much easier because you could. You can subscribe to the tag uh, to individual tag resources um, easily uh, in in Ignition Eight. So yeah, Colby said the top five things were obviously per- perspective, uh, the new tag engine, uh, security. It's kind of reformed from the ground up, like supporting two-factor authentication, all that kind of stuff. Which has been sorely missing. Um, another one, which was the tag engine, um, the source source code designer and you know all your projects are now available as a flat file so you can use source control like git and the fifth and final one was the in project inheritance so that kind of stemmed from you know enterprise level projects where you're developing standards from a corporate level pushing those down you know we had no real solution other than to kind of roll our own using um, you know standard operating procedures or EAM scripts and now that's kind of be built into the platform which is really cool to see you know yeah, so basically you can make a, 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 parent, a parent project, a core project that contains all the core elements, and then you can inherit from that parent project and, and extend. So think as a, a core corporate project, and then each plant inherits from that project and extends it as they see fit, right? Right now you do that with EAM. The problem is, is that you have to manage separate applications, right? And if you use one application and allow them to customize out here, you could end up nuking everything. So um, the, the couple other things that I'm excited about before we we get off is uh, um, influx data. We're we're doing a, a proof of concept with the influx data solution. We're going to be meeting again with Sorba, which is the, they have an AI platform that I, we've looked at in depth and is you know it's pretty phenomenal actually. Um, so uh, also the uh, we're going to try and get our hands on the Bedrock uh, OA. Um, the the Bedrock OA PLC the OSA remote yeah the OSA remote um, and Corso I think Corso got one of those they did a review and unboxing it looks pretty sick yeah it's definitely we saw it at the Skata Summit last year and it, before they had gone to wide release and it's you know it 
you know, it's at a two thousand, three thousand dollar price point, which is you know a third of what their their core offering is, and it's it's pretty legit, man. Still has all the security features, and it. That's a question I have. What's that? Um, so let's say we have a company like let's say Bedrock or let's say like Flow Software, a company that wants to. They love what we're doing. They love the content that we create. They want us to create more, but they want to sponsor. They want to help financially without uh, like obviously influencing our opinions. How can we work with companies like that to help help our message reach more people while giving them that opportunity to have their product evaluated? So I'm, I'm, believe it or not, for a fat guy, I'm a triathlete. So um, there's a guy, a, a social media influencer, his name is DC Rainmaker. I highly recommend you look him up, DC Rainmaker. He, what he's really known for is uh, writing reviews of fitness technology, right? Um, he never accepts free, uh, free stuff, um, and he always sends back the samples. So if, if if customer, if if manufacturers really want to help the content that we're making, then what they can do is provide us samples of their new offerings and allow us to unbox them and review them, uh, give us the support to learn the technology and let us be their testing ground. Mm -hmm. um, and then we will produce the content and give our fair and unwavering opinion. But we d would reserve the right to have our, you know, to give our honest opinion, just like DC Rainmaker does, which. Which means he has, you know, he has millions and millions and millions of followers because he's an authority in the space. But if like Bedrock wanted to sponsor a post, we could say, you know, this video is sponsored by Bedrock Automation. Here's our review of the OSA remote, unfiltered, unbiased, as always, like what you expect from Walker Reynolds and Zach Scriven Media. Yeah, I don't think anyone would ever argue that I'm biased in any way, <laughs> or that uh, you know, probably on the other. Um, on the Do you have anything else? No, that's it, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing back from the community on what we shot today. And, and, you know, if you guys keep giving us feedback, you can steer us in the direction that you, uh, you want us to go. Because ultimately, you know, I can answer any question you ask. I just, just ask the question and then we'll answer it. Awesome. I'm going to end on a closing question. A uh, question that I've asked three or four of the guests that have come from Rockwell. Actually, I've even asked some that haven't. But, uh, you know, guys like Kyle Reiser, uh, John Fedor. Um, who else? Uh, I'm going to talk to Chris Lukey, uh, Mike Martinez. I asked them, if Rockwell were one of the major tech companies, one of the major tech players today, who would they be and why? Oh. Um, they would be Microsoft. Um, yeah, they would, they would be Microsoft. The reason why is... Um, uh, be, because they use integrated solutions, they let they try to lever they leverage integrated solutions not just in their own uh, products that they make, but in their partner products. So if you if we were to compare them to say Apple, Apple makes all of their own products and they own all of the technology, and that's the reason that they're integrated, right? Mm -hmm. uh, they make the Apple Watch, they make the iPhone, they make the MacBook, they make the iPad. They don't have partners making those things and then having them connect. So Rockwell makes about, you know, let's say half of the ecosystem that they're involved with, and then they have partner companies that make the other half. Microsoft's the same way. So I would say they're Microsoft. And, and uh, um, and inductive automation would be uh, Apple, you know. Interesting. 
You know, I I wouldn't have taken it that way. You know, I liked Mark Mat Martinez's answer the best was that Rockwell is Rockwell and it's kind of its own thing. It's unique to itself, and I was like, oh, that's a really. But it's not though. Yeah, their their business model is very, I, I, well. I don't want to say that. I don't want to disagree with what he said. They there are other companies like their business model. Their business model is actually very common in the space. Mm. It's very very common. Schneider has literally the exact same business model. Their business model is identical. What about Siemens? Uh, Siemens is different. Siemens is more like Apple, right? Siemens. What about Amazon? Um, Am there is uh, Amazon would be uh, um, Amazon and Tesla are siblings, mm. right? Um, where uh, uh, you know Microsoft's no longer run by the founder, right? Um, Rockwell is no longer run by the founder. In fact, if you look at Rockwell, Rockwell is <laughs> hundreds of companies put together under one methodology, right? Um, you know, a lot of it through mergers and acquisitions. Um, actually, nearly all of it. Um, Schneider, Schneider's the same way, right? They, they bought up um, they bought up the market. Um, and that's not a bad thing. I, I, don't, I don't mean that pejoratively. It's just it's a different business model. Amazon and Apple, Apple's no longer run by the founder, but it's run by the right-hand man to the founder. Mm -hmm. uh, Amazon's still run by the founder. Yeah, it was, so is Tesla, so is SpaceX, right? Yeah. That's an interesting point. You know, I was going to say Amazon because Rockwell, it seems like they kind of want to own every sector of the market. They want to, you know, be your grocery store. They want to be your uh, terminal block provider. They want to be your software provider, cloud provider. So they, they kind of want to be everything. Um, so it's interesting to see. There's elements of Apple, Microsoft, Amazon. So let me, let me let's close with this question. Because um, um, I feel like I was harder on Rockwell in this podcasts than I've ever been on them, right? But I, I think I'm fair. I'm being fair, uh, and I don't think anything I said about them is not true. Um, what is Rockwell best at? So all, this, all the solutions they provide, what is Rockwell best at? And I'd love to hear I, comments on this. I, I'd like I would say they make a really great PLC programming software. There's things about it that I don't like, and I can't tell whether or not it's because I learned on that platform. That's why I like it more, but I do like it more than Codasys. I like it more than TIA Portal. I like it more than, you know, anything, really. I agree. I believe that what Rockwell is best at is Studio 5000. Studio 5000 is the best product that they have by far. Um, it, it, the Asset Manager used to be the best product, but it's not. I think Studio 5000 is phenomenal, and I, th and I think their Compact Logics PLC line is off the charts. Um, that I think that's what they're best at. Yeah, they have a great PLC. Yeah, I, I think that the L33ER is probably the best PLC ever made. Well, the L33ER with MQTT Sparkplug B built in would be the best PLC, but that one doesn't exist. Could you imagine how that would fly off the shelves? <laughs> so, yeah, but I, I agree. That's what they're best at. Awesome. Let us know what you guys think. We'll see you guys in the next episode. Uh, peace out. Peace. Peace.